Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad you're joining us for part two on how to build your spiritual inheritance. And I hope that you're leaving an inheritance for your children, but even more important than a financial blessing for your children, I hope that you're leaving a spiritual legacy for them, and I hope that you're building up your inheritance in heaven. And so today I want to read the text that we'll be looking at, and I'm going to briefly share with you four ways you know that you have victory over sin, and four ways to increase your spiritual inheritance. Now I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation, Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 17. Paul says, Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. In other words, I'm not a slave to my old sinful nature. I have been set free. I'm not obligated to live that way anymore. I'm not who I used to be. I am changed. I am a new creation in Christ. That old nature, it's gone. Now, sometimes it does resurrect from the dead, but Paul says, I'm not obligated to follow that sinful nature. He says, because if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you live. Now, he's talking about everlasting life there. Do you want to live forever? There is a way that you can live forever. I'm not talking about physically living forever. Listen, you can get a new heart, you can get new lungs, new kidneys, and you can replace a whole lot of your body parts. But I promise you, 100 years from now, Nobody who's listening to me will be alive. Uh, You may be listening to me, and I'll probably be dead uh, if you're listening, and it's been 100 years past the year 2023. Paul says, if you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live, because all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. He says, you haven't received that Spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you receive God's Spirit. When he adopted you as his own children, and he says, now we call God Abba Father. I love that. That means daddy. I now call God the Father daddy. And he says, because his spirit joins our spirit to affirm that we are the children of God. Now, this is a wonderful passage of scripture. Verse number 16, Romans 8, 16. As a matter of fact, there was a time that I was doubting my salvation, and somebody says, you ought to memorize Romans 8.16. So I did. Romans 8.16, for the Spirit joins with our spirit that we are God's children. In other words, if you have that affirmation from the Spirit of God and it joins with your spirit, that's where you get your confidence from, that I am born again, that I'm a child of God. And then verse 17 says, and since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. Now, I don't really like that last bit of that phrase that we've got to share in his suffering if we're going to share in his glory, but it gives us insight into the fact that suffering is going to come along in your life as you grow your spiritual inheritance. In other words, the more of inheritance you receive, there's going to be more suffering. So many people have been fed a line that if you become a follower of Christ, you'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise, and you're never going to have any more problems. Well, I want you to know that your problems may increase if you become a follower of Christ. Why? Because you switched teams, right? You were once on the enemy's team, and he didn't care what you were doing with your life. Uh, He didn't care if you were complacent. He didn't really care what you did. You could even actually live a pretty decent moral life, 
just as long as you weren't on God's team. But once you joined the family of God, everything changed. All bets were off, and Satan, all of a sudden, his demons, uh, they got real busy. And they got busy making your life miserable. I mean, all you got to do is look at the story of Job, right? The story of Job is a story of God allowing Satan to buffet Job. As a matter of fact, Satan looked at the life of Job and says, you know, you put this hedge of protection around him. It's no wonder, God, that he serves you. It's no wonder that he won't curse you. You've given him everything he needs. You've blessed him. Uh, you, you know, you've blessed the socks off of Job. And, and anybody's going to serve you if you give them everything that they want and everything they need. Uh, well, God says, well, I, I know the heart of Job better than you do. And uh, I actually know Job's heart better than Job knows his own heart. And God says, I'll tell you what, I, I'll drop that hedge of protection around Job. And you can't, you can take a shot at him. Now, why did God do that? Why did God do that for Job, but he didn't do it for everybody? He lowers that protection and says, you can take a shot at him because God knew the heart of Job. God knew that when the temptation came along, that Job was going to pass with flying colors. Well, how did Job know he was going to pass? Well, he had to go through the test. You see, you don't get an A for passing a test until you take the test. Now, you've got to take the test. You've got to pass the test before you know how much you know. And so Job was allowed to be tested so that Satan would see the level of his faith and so that Job would see the level of his faith. God already knew what was the level of faith in Job. God already knew exactly how Job was going to respond. Paul reminds us, if we want to share in his glory, we are also going to share in his suffering. I gave you four things that happens to me when I'm free from the power of sin. Number one is that my mind is set on the things of the Spirit. Number two, I have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, found in Romans 8, 9. He says that we're no longer living in the realm of the flesh, but we're living in the realm of the Spirit. The Spirit of God lives in me. It's a consistent, constant dwelling of the Holy Spirit. And then we learn, thirdly, that I have the ability to control the deeds of my body. You know, those who don't know Christ, part of me kind of feels sympathy toward them because they don't have the ability to overpower the deeds of their body. They just go along to get along. They just do whatever their body dictates. But as believers in Christ, we have this wonderful power residing within us called the Spirit. And Paul says, if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if you live by the Spirit, you put to death the misdeeds of the body, then you're going to live. You see, I'm going to live forever. The soul, the real part of me is going to live forever. And I, I have the ability now, because of what's residing within me, to overcome the power of the flesh. Now, this doesn't mean I don't have to learn anything else. Paul says, I discipline myself. I keep my body under control so that I don't become disqualified. So discipline is part of living victorious over sin. And then we close off by giving the final thing that happens to us when we overcome the power of sin. Number four is that we have an inheritance with Christ. On September 2nd, 1945, the documents of surrender officially ending World War II were signed by the Japanese and designated representatives of all the Allied nations. Douglas MacArthur officiated the ceremony aboard the USS Missouri, and he was the last to sign on behalf of the United States. But when it came time for General Douglas MacArthur to sign, he did something very unusual. 
he took out his Parker fountain pen and simply signed his first name, Douglas. He then took his pen and he passed it over to General Wainwright. And General Wainwright just signed three letters, the first part of MacArthur's last name. He just spelled out M-A-C on the bottom line. Then MacArthur takes his Parker fountain pen and he hands it over to General Percival. General Percival, who signed Arthur. Now, this unusual procedure was General Douglas MacArthur's way of honoring the two United States generals who had suffered severe persecution as prisoners of war. They had persevered, and now they were allowed to share in the glory of victory. Paul says, in the future, all who have persevered in the spiritual battles that we fight this side of heaven, he calls them joint heirs. Those who share in the sufferings of Christ will also share in his glory. Now, I'm kind of blown away that Christ would do this because my salvation is all the work of Christ. Even my desire to be born again was all the work of Christ. The Holy Spirit drew me into a relationship with Christ. Jesus himself paid the penalty on the cross for my sins. He paid for my justification. He paid for my sanctification. He paid for my justification. He paid it all. Jesus paid it all. But he says, I want you to share in my glory. Those who share in the sufferings of Christ also share in his glory. So this brings me to the point of how do I grow this inheritance? Now, I got to let you know, when this inheritance grows, it grows through times of suffering. It grows through pressure on our lives. Paul writes to young Timothy. Now, Timothy was the pastor at Jerusalem, and Timothy was a young guy, and Timothy was needing to be reminded to be stirring up the gifts that were within him, and Timothy needed to know exactly what he ought to be doing as a pastor. So Paul says, all Scripture is God-breathed. And this is what Scripture should be doing. So Timothy recognized the power of Scriptures and used Scripture for four things. And this is what we're going to use to grow on our inheritance. Number one, you're going to use Scripture for teaching. Secondly, you're going to use it for rebuking. Thirdly, you're going to use it for correcting. And then fourthly, you're going to use it for training in righteousness. And he says, you're going to do this so that God's servant may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So four ways we biblically grow our inheritance. Number one, I grow my inheritance when I learn and he teaches me. He shows me the path that I should walk. That's the power of God's word, that I'm going to walk on the right path. Now, I have a friend who I went to college with, and he decided to go down a different path. His dad was a wealthy business owner and and owned a large corporation up in the northeast part of the country. This man got so far off track, this friend of mine, that when his dad was writing his will, he took his son out of the inheritance. So when he passed, his son, because of the way he lived his life, received no inheritance. He got off the path. He refused to learn what his dad was trying to teach him. You see, the word of God shows me the path that I should walk. David put it this way, who is the man who fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way that he should go. So if you really want to grow in God's uh, inheritance, 
You've got to follow the instructions of his word. Psalm 86, 11, David cries out to God and says, Teach me your way, O Lord, so that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. You see, we have victory with God. Somebody wrote this poem that I thought was was very meaningful, and it's simply entitled, Victory with God. Before the winds that blow do cease, teach me to dwell within thy calm. Before the pain has passed in peace, give me, my God, to sing a song. Let me not lose the chance to prove the fullness of enabling love. O love of God, do this for me. Maintain a constant victory. You see, you're not going to have great faith until you learn great faithfulness. Here, as we look at this teaching aspect, it's not a one and done. It's like not, I have learned one Bible verse and I'm ready for my inheritance. It is a lifetime of being taught God's Word, a lifetime of absorbing God's Word in our lives. But this a second thing. The Word of God also is used to rebuke me. We learn that God teaches us His Word so that we know the path that we should be walking on. But then He rebukes us to show me where I've gotten off that path. Revelation 3.9 says, Those who I love I rebuke and I discipline. So be earnest and repent. Now, I want you to know that learning to stay on the right path or or being rebuked when you get off the path is something that, that we're not really fond of hearing about. But, you know, when I was in Bible college many years ago, I was asked to write a paper and to deliver this paper kind of for a, a special class. And, uh, well, it was typical for me to and maybe you have the same problem, right? I delayed, and I procrastinated. I put off writing this paper until the deadline was looming over my head, right? And the paper was due on a Wednesday. And, you know, I I took all my classes in the morning because I worked second shift. I worked full-time when I was going to Bible college, and I was trying to do ministry and a few other things. And, uh, you know, I had a lot of excuses why I couldn't get this paper done. And here I I wake up on Monday morning and say, oh, no, Uh, That paper is due on Wednesday. So what did I do? Well, I decided that I would cut classes for two days to complete the assignment. When I handed the paper in, I I got a pretty good grade. Well, the professor uh, of that class uh, gave me a pretty decent grade, but but then he found me and he said, "Hey, hey, Calvin, that was a good paper, but it lacked the possibility of greatness. You want to know why? Well, you know, I really could be in a very good position to say no. I mean, here this guy was was senior, uh, was my senior by about 40 or maybe even 50 years. And so he continued giving me this rebuke. He said, you sacrificed your routine responsibilities to write it. And then he said, your ministry will not be successful if you make this sort of thing a habit. You see, he he was less interested in the content of my paper, and he was more interested in the pattern of my character. That's what he was more concerned about. That paper would soon be forgotten. 
As a matter of fact, I can't remember anything about it now, but the work habit it revealed would continue the rest of my life. If I didn't make these changes, then I would be paying for it the rest of my life. Your ministry will not be successful if you make a habit of this sort of thing. So I want to encourage you today. So many times people come to me, well, well, pastor, and maybe as you're listening to me, maybe you fit into this category. You say, well, pastor, right now, I'm really going through a hard time. And as a result of going through a hard time, I'm going to just kind of stop going to church for a while. I'm going to stop going to my small group for a little while because I need to heal up and I need to get some right direction in my life. Listen, don't sacrifice your routine responsibilities. They are what make you strong. If you make a habit of doing that sort of thing, it will it will plague you for the rest of your life. You see, it's the little things that make a difference in our lives. Jesus said, it's those little foxes that spoil the vine. You don't have to worry about the big things in your life. It's the little areas of your life where you cut corners. You know, I encourage everyone to do three things every week if you really want to be a strong believer. Number one, you want to be in worship every week, right? Gathering together corporately with other believers. And I'm not talking about listening online. I'm talking about going in person, right? Uh, The Bible doesn't say, don't forsake watching online church services. It doesn't say that. It says, don't forget the assembling of yourselves together. He says, as a manner of some have. Uh, That's Hebrews 10.25. So once a week, be in church with other believers in Christ. Number two, every Christian ought to be in a group of people, a small group of people, right? Big corporate group of worshiping, a smaller group of people. And our church has several small groups. As a matter of fact, uh, the uh, the man who runs our, our Celebrate Recovery ministry says, now, Pastor, we have small groups in Celebrate Recovery. And I said, I know you do. And uh, they have a general assembly. They have a big gathering with everybody with 30 or 40. And then they break off into smaller groups with maybe eight or 10 people. So everyone needs to be corporately worshiping. Everyone needs to be in a small group, a Bible study setting with other believers, because that's where your accountability is. Now, listen, if you go to a church and there's more than 60 people, if there's more than 60 people in your church, I promise you, you don't know everybody in your church. And so you want to be in a small group where you have accountability. As a matter of fact, sometimes I think people like to go to super big churches so they can kind of hide in the crowd, right? And uh, I'm not against super big churches. I thank the Lord for them. They're reaching uh, a super number of people. That's great. But oftentimes you can hide in that kind of church and and then you slip out and nobody knows if you stop going. Nobody's uh, keeping you accountable. So you got to be in a small group where somebody will miss you. We're praying for two people right now in my small group. And they have been sick. They haven't been able to come to the small group. And so we're praying for them. We minister to them. We reach out to them. And so that's the benefit of being in a small group. Not only are you receiving a blessing, but you're also you're being a blessing to somebody else. So everybody ought to every week be in worship. Everyone ought to every week be in a small group. And then number three, you ought to be serving. Yep, you ought to be serving. I say often to the members of my church, God then save you to set. He saved to get up and get. He's got a job for you. The moment that you were born again, God gave you a spiritual gift, and he gave it to you with flair. That's right. Uh, he gave you that unique ability to teach like nobody else can teach, 
or to serve like nobody else can serve. I don't care what your gift is. Uh, You may have the gift of helps. I thank God for the people that have the gift of helps, right? Uh, They have a special way of just coming along and helping at just the right time. Well, we've talked about how God gives us his word, and his word teaches us and shows us the path I should walk on. Number two, he uses the word to rebuke me, to show me where I'm off the path. And then number three, he uses the word to correct me. That is, he shows me how to get back on the path. Hebrews 12.11 says, For the moment, all discipline. It, It seems painful. It's not pleasant. But it does yield that peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been chained, uh, trained by it. So God's word corrects us. You know, it is not correct to say that a person goes to prison these days. Prisons are now called uh, correctional centers, right? <laughs> I love that word, correction. Correction means changing the core action. Core action or correction is changing the core actions of your life. It's a new direction in my life. It's not doing the same thing over and over again. And then the fourth thing is that he trains me or he shows me how to stay on the right path. So Paul says, don't have anything to do with silly myths and and things that are irreverent. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For bodily training is of some value. Godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So here is my challenge for you today. Will you intentionally work on at least one of these areas to help grow your inheritance? Maybe you need to work on this matter of taking God's word and being taught God's word. You need to be shown what path you need to be walking on. You need to get connected in a church that is teaching you God's word. Maybe you need to take God's word and receive that rebuke. Those who God loves, he disciplines and he rebukes. So be earnest, says John in the book of Revelation. Be earnest and repent. All repentance is is agreeing with God with whatever he has rebuked me on. And then number three, maybe you need to be shown how to get back on the path. You need some core action changed. You need some correction in your life. Uh, You need to get on the right path, a new direction for your life. Or maybe you need to be trained, showing you how to stay on the path. Paul says, you know, bodily training, bodily exercise, it's got some value. As a matter of fact, I encourage you to take care of your bodies physically. About seven, eight months ago, I started walking, and I walk about 10,000 steps a day. And uh, it takes me a good hour to get that many steps in. Uh, And so I walk around my neighborhood. So I realize bodily training is of some value, but I also use that at time to pray. I prayer walk through my neighborhood. I've got a long uh, loop around my neighborhood that I try to do it twice. And uh, if I do it twice, that's actually about 1,100 steps. And uh, it's two and a half miles along. uh, And I go around and I've got over 20 people that live in my neighborhood, that either come to my church or part of the academy. And so the ones that I know, I pray for them. And, and I pray different prayers for people as I walk by uh, their houses. And, uh, and I was kidding around on Sunday morning because uh, one of the guys sitting in the back lives in my neighborhood. And I said, when I get to house number 138, 
And I said, I pray for that family because they're members of Hickory Ridge Community Church. Well, that guy's face lit up. And I was kidding around with him at the end of the service. And I said, you notice, I didn't say how I'm praying for you, but I did say I'm praying for you. Well, listen, we can prayer walk and we can pray for one another. We can encourage one another. There is power in prayer. Listen, this last men's breakfast as I was with our men, uh, somebody caught wind that uh, there's some pressure in my life, some things we're going through. And, uh, and so all those men, there's probably about 40 men gathered around and laid hands uh, on the pastor and prayed for me. You know, that meant so much to me. Uh, that lifted some of that burden. That helped me to know that I got a group of men who care about what I'm going through. They're carrying that burden right along with me. And so pray together. You will find there is power. So if I can pray for you, shoot me a text at 252-267-2365. 252-267-2365. And we will pray for you. If you want me to add you to our prayer list on Thursday morning, we will pray for you by name and by deed. Well, thank you so much for listening today. I hope that this has been a blessing to you. I'm praying for you that God will continue to increase your inheritance as you share what God has done in your life. Wherever you go, share the love of Christ. Somebody needs to hear the gospel today, and why not you be that person? Well, God bless you. Thank you again for listening. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.